and hearing that you're worried about your safety and going back to work and that your boss isn't supporting you or the company practices don't align with your values. Let's talk more about that. So it kind of depends how the conversation starts, but we want to really open that in a way that people understand what to expect in the conversation, signal trust, and an understanding of like who we are as an organization, and then open the dialogue. Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. All right. So hi, everybody, and thank you for joining Creating Community for Good podcast. Today, we have an awesome leader who's the founder and president of Empower Work, Jamie Alexis Fowler. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. This is really fun. This is great. So let's dive in and just talk about the what Empower Work is doing. Tell me a Absolutely. little bit more about the organization. Absolutely. Empower Work is a national organization that provides immediate confidential support for challenging work situations. And we do that over SMS. And we started because we saw a pretty big gap in the space. And now with COVID, obviously we're seeing some pretty significant needs and happy to share a little bit more about that. Yeah. I would love to talk more about that. I know that you're really focused on deep listening and building community and connections, but how do you do that through SMS? Yes. <laughs> that was when we first started, one of our now board members, Jen Hobbing and I were having a conversation. She's a longtime coach and trainer in the executive coaching space. And she had the same question, like, how do you do coaching over text? And what we find is that it really builds a totally different set of muscles in a lot of ways. And so you have to read things differently. There's less context. We don't have information about someone's you know, micro expressions or, you know, their, their physical responses, you really have to listen deeply and see what someone's sharing, understand what's at stake. And a lot of times get curious about what's not being shared. And I can give some examples of that. If someone says, you know, I've got this meeting with my boss in 15 minutes and I'm worried I'm going to get fired. Yes. We're hearing specifics of the situation, but we haven't heard and we're hearing, you know, that they're worried and we're hearing some emotions, but what's not being shared there? Like what's at stake for them? What, what's, what's causing that concern? Is it really the job loss? Is it the face-to-face meeting? Is it financial concern? There can be so much more and that curiosity can help deepen that conversation and really dig in, even if it's just in 160 characters. <laughs> wow. And so how does that, how does that look? Is it automated or is there somebody behind the SMS? It's all, it's uh, using technology for human connection. So everyone connects with a trained peer counselor. And these are folks who are working professionals who give their time and energy to give back. A lot of them have experienced some element of workplace adversity themselves and recognize the importance and support of support and recognize that this is a way to give back. And, you know, right now you can do it from anywhere, from your couch, from, (laughs) you know, in your sweatpants, you could do that before COVID. Now it's amplified. And we see that that human connection is really, really important. People leave conversations. Some of our, the folks who connect with us leave saying, you know, I've never felt so deeply heard as I did in this conversation. And we find that that's pretty profound for what's usually about an hour exchange, you know, just over SMS or web chat for those who prefer that. 
So web chat might be, it's still text though. It's not an audio chat. Still written. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we started that way because we listened really deeply to what people need at these critical moments. And so often people are texting us from their break room or a bus in situations where you don't want to be overheard uh, and where discretion is really important. So having access to a third-party resource that's not going to share something back with your employer that's truly focused on what's in your best interest and listening to that, understanding what's at stake and discussing a path forward that really works for you, we find to be kind of a game changer. Somebody who reached out to us a couple of weeks ago in all of the COVID uncertainty shared afterwards, you know, humanity needs this. (laughs) And our whole team just read that. We were like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, And it's, you know, I think it's true. We don't have as humans enough space to talk through and be vulnerable in a lot of ways. And what we offer provides a safe space to do that. And you cite on the website that 80% of Americans actually have nowhere to turn through tough work situations. Where do you get that stat from? And what does that really, you know, dissect that for me a little bit. What does that mean? So when we started, it really came out of coaching and support that I'd been doing for folks both in my network and sort of wider. And after one particularly challenging conversation that I was helping someone with, she connected with me. So like leveraged the heck out of her LinkedIn network. We connected and we're having this deep conversation. And in the course of our chat, I realized, you know, what she likely needed was weeks earlier, more timely um, to the situation she was experiencing. And she had just been truly stuck. Like there was nowhere for her to turn. She was, you know, first generation in her family to go to college, to join the tech industry. She was working in this really small startup. She was incredibly isolated in a lot of different ways. And I left thinking like, there's got to be something for folks like her. And I started Googling and realizing <laughs> like, there's that. And that didn't mean that there needed to be. For me, it was really a question of like, again, like what do workers need and what's not addressing that? And so the 80% of folks not having a resource comes from a combination of market landscape research that we did to see what's available, what's not available, what are the gaps. And then we also did an intensive industry nationwide survey of hundreds and hundreds of workers to say, you know, what have you experienced? Where did you turn? What resources did you have access to? And what we saw was that 95% of working Americans had faced something extraordinarily challenging. So they indicated, you know, I left my job because of it, or I left an industry, I took a pay cut. These really negative situations led to very negative outcomes when people didn't have support. And the lack of support really comes down to a couple of factors. One, 40 million working Americans don't have access to anything internally because they work in employment situations with 100 or fewer people. Those are workplaces where there may not be HR, there certainly are not EAPs, employee assistance programs, or other resources, and people feel really extra isolated. Hmm. That also dovetails with the fact that a lot of those working Americans who are in those situations are also lower income. And so you see this gap where if you work at a well-resourced company that's willing and able to pay for something, something likely exists. Most Americans don't. And if you're willing and able to pay because you have the means to do so, there are some incredibly you know, expensive and wonderful resources, but that's inaccessible for work, most working Americans. And so you're left with this big gap in the middle of folks who don't have a, a means of navigating what's going on. And that fundamentally contributes to a lot of the inequity that we see in workplaces across the United States. It's fascinating. It's 
concerning and it makes sense. How about right now when unemployment is at uh, dropping by the day and at an all-time low, what are you seeing in terms of the use of the app? Have you been getting more texts, more outreach? And what does it mean for somebody who's unemployed? Do you only work with folks who are employed? We work with both. And we've seen a rise in in both of those over the last couple of months. Hmm. In March in particular, as I should say, I should back up and say, as COVID has unfolded, you know, we've really seen a shift um, and an ebb and flow in the topics that people are presenting. So at the beginning of COVID, it was a lot around the uncertainty of what was going on. You know, is this something that um, is going to create a lockdown for my company or Hmm. my company is not following shelter in place orders or... There's confusion about what's being shared at the federal level or the local level. And that means my employer can't figure out what to do. You know, a lot of confusion, concern. That then shifted into a lot more concerns about safety. So I'm being asked to go into work or I'm considered an essential worker, mm-hmm. but I have immunocompromised parents at home and my employer isn't trusting that they're immunocompromised. They're asking me for documentation. Mm-hmm. Well, my parents are undocumented immigrants who don't have health care. We don't have documentation that they're immunocompromised and my employer isn't trusting me that they are. What do you do in that scenario? Yeah, (laughs) that's why people reach out to Empower Work. Like I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. You know, it depends on the situation. What we really focus on in terms of that deep listening is what's at stake for the person. And so there's no prescriptive, hey, these are the steps that you take. It's really about deeply understanding with that person what do they know about their employer? What do they know about their manager? What do they trust or not trust that they could take an action on? So for each person, that's going to be different. In some cases, it may be, oh, you know, this conversation made me realize I do have a great relationship with this other coworker. They were experiencing the same thing. I'm going to go chat with them and maybe we can work together to bring an idea to the business owner to escalate something. In other cases, it might be something like, you know, I've really exhausted everything internally. I think I'm going to try to work on, you know, taking this to to OSHA and like filing an OSHA complaint Mm -hmm. um, or something like that. So what's, you know, what each person determines is deeply personal, depending on what's most important for them. And we've seen conversations with COVID where people ultimately make the decision, you know, my paycheck is more important right now than the concern to my health. And we've seen Mm -hmm. people make decisions like my health, my family's health, is more important and I'm going to walk away from this job. Mm-hmm. And that's what we help, you know, create the space for, for someone mm-hmm. to unpack what may be available to them and feel supported to make a decision that's hopefully in their best interest. How similar or dissimilar is this to therapy as opposed to strategic consulting? So we have blended best practices in coaching. We're a very coaching-based approach. It's very forward thinking. So I think the biggest difference, well, I would say both for coaching and therapy is that it's a peer-based system, you know? So these are volunteers okay. who are not professionals. I mean, they're working professionals, but they're not, they're not professional paid. therapists and they're not paid. And so it is very much a peer-based system where we say, okay. you know, we, we're here to listen, we're here to support, but we're not here to advise. <laughs> okay. But we take a lot of practices and build that in. So we do unpack and under, you know, an understanding of like components that could be contributing to what's going on. One of the biggest, I think, differentiating factors between coaching and counseling per se is that counseling tends to focus on sort of the background and, and like backward focusing and coaching tends to be forward focused. And we are very much forward focused because we know that people, and again, listening to what workers need, they're looking to take an action. Like they need to address the situation in some way. 
And so although we do address the emotional complexities, we see really important work that gets done around the mental well-being of someone in order to really unlock a possibility going forward. Ultimately, the conversations are, you know, 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're not going to solve everything. Yeah. But we are able to help people take a next step on what's particularly challenging at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Maria Cristini was the first host or guest on the episode of the podcast. And she's a coach. And she's talked a lot about the difference between counseling and coaching and how important it is to see that that person as their own truth and wealth of resources. But the coach really helps to facilitate and guide that person towards making the decisions or behaviors that are going to be most helpful for that person as a contributor to their own yes, lives. Absolutely. And and that ultimately they're the expert in their own exactly in their own situation. Right. Um, and we can help facilitate that. It's hard. You know, I think when people ask like, well, what should I do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and we have training around that. It's like uh, my favorite answer is like, it depends. You know, yeah. because it depends. <laughs> and on the one hand, that could be a really frustrating yeah. uh, response. But on the other hand, it's true. Like yeah. it really does depend. We see situations where you know, folks are experiencing harassment or discrimination. And, you know, one person experiencing discrimination and bias may handle something totally different than someone else because of the factors that are that are going on in their lives and, and what they value. One of my favorite questions, and we had feedback from somebody who used this about a year ago about the power of this question was, what would it take to make you feel whole? Oh, I love that. And we ask that sometimes in conversations because so much of that is about ultimately like, where do you want this to go? And how can we best support you to be the person you want to be? And again, that may be someone might decide, you know what, I'm going to take this to an editor at the New York Times. And another person might say, you know, what would make me feel whole is just leaving this job. Or what would make me feel whole is just having a good cry. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, or just having this conversation, feeling heard, I think for many people to just have another human connection that's nurturing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's going to be so different for each person. So I like that question. What's going to make you feel whole? What are some of the other techniques that the audience can take into their practice of deep listening, going beyond your organization and into practice for folks who are nonprofit executives or donors or fundraisers, people who are listening to this podcast are going to be coming from totally different angles. What are some of the phrases that we can use? Absolutely. It's a great question. And I love that this is, we're all experiencing kind of a unique moment of listening in new ways, whether it's like mm-hmm. listening video chats or yeah. listening over text to our, to our friends, listening over the phone in different ways. And the humanness of it is, I think, particularly important right now. So one of the things that I really encourage with folks, and this was sort of a light bulb moment for me when I was starting in power work, is that I always considered myself someone who asked pretty good questions. And one of the questions I realized that I was asking that was really shut down conversations. And I call it advice hidden in a question are, have you questions? And we have such a natural human disposition to want to help solve what's going on for someone. And we think like, oh, by solving, like I'm helping, you know, if I ask these questions that help someone solve it, that's the most helpful. And I think the flip there is if we shift that and say, listening can be part of that solution and help the person come up with their own approach, then we have to switch questions that start like with like, you know, have you talked to your manager or have you talked to a coworker about this to questions like, what have you tried already? 
And there's this very subtle shift between this implication that you should have done something and this, I'm hearing what's going on and I want to know more. And so I started switching that in my own practice where every time I would hear myself say, oh, have you, I would like pause and be like, what I meant was... I love <laughs> that. That's a great of, adjustment. And kind of changing, changing that a little bit. I also mm-hmm. really like, can you tell me more about... And so a way to kind of show that you're listening and indicate that you want to go deeper with a person can be reflecting what you're hearing already and then asking for more information. And again, I think we have a tendency to say like, ask for more information in ways that make someone feel like they're not sharing enough or that they're maybe not hearing the situation, but open-ended questions like, can you tell me a little bit more about what's really bothering you the most about Mm. this? Really helps someone feel like, oh, this is a safe space to go deeper. I can share more and I'm also being heard. Mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting combination. It is. That's very interesting. And it's helpful in this time of virtual engagement. The episode that's going to be released before this one, shortly before this one, is with Renee Rubin-Ross. And it's about how to hold virtual meetings. And we focus on board engagement or donor engagement. But I think that what you're bringing to the table is sort of the next layer to that, the next sequence in the episode to say, and how do we manage conflict via this distance? And while not everybody is serving as a volunteer in Empower Work, it's more so how are we talking with each other as friends or board members, colleagues, associates before we get to a crisis moment? It sounds like most of the engagement that you're doing is crisis focused. So it's really backing up and looking at how can we take the lessons learned from crisis management and apply it into day-to-day conflict mitigation or mm-hmm. conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And I would say part of that, sometimes I think when people hear like conflict or things like that, it yeah. has to be just like emotional complexity. Yeah, complexity. Um, maybe that's a better way to put it. I think that's where there's so much at, at stake right now for a lot of people. And so sometimes it doesn't feel like conflict, but more just like, like emotional collision. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like how do we how do we like parse out those different pieces? And it's harder to know what's going on for each person. You know, right. like is someone having a, a tougher day because they have two kids who aren't, you know, in childcare and their partner's been in all day meetings and they haven't had the same ability to balance? Or is there is it just one of those harder days? Like there's such an ebb and flow, I think, particularly with COVID, that we're all navigating this like roller coaster of shifting sands, or as one of my colleagues says, a uh, a marathon where the finish line keeps changing. (laughs) (laughs) Any given day, someone's on like a different level. Like, oh, I'm on a great, I'm having a great day, but someone else might be having a down day. And it's just, that happens in any circumstance. But I think with COVID, it's it's amplified. Mm -hmm. With fundraising, which is my background, another high value question that I encourage folks to ask is, tell me about a time. Tell me about a time when this was meaningful, important to you or whatever it is. When I'm talking about philanthropy, it's tell me about a time where you had a great experience with a nonprofit or tell me about a hope that you might have for what the impact of your work will make on this organization. I think that there's probably some tie-in to what you're talking about too. So I'm just riffing here, but free-flowing a little bit, trying to actively learn. Could we apply the same techniques to -to peer-to-peer conversations? So tell me about a solution or tell me about... How would you phrase that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think for someone who's listening, who is, let's say, like a nonprofit who's 
thinking about having a conversation with funder, a funder and trying to understand like why would a funder support our work right now? Yeah. Um, these same applicable elements of, of like deep listening and understanding yeah. what's at stake for them. And I would also say like slowing down. I think so, so often we are eager to like get our pitch in or get our point across and slowing down and really asking, as you said, like, tell me, tell me about an example of a great organization you've worked with. Or I really like to ask like, what inspired you to take this meeting? Yes. Oh, I like that one too. And what inspired you to join the board or what inspired you in in any of those follow your own path? Exactly. Exactly. And I think those questions of like, that are open-ended that Mm -hmm. start with like, what, or tell me a little bit about help someone that you're trying to listen to create the path that you want to partner with them on walking down. Right. Um, And if we're, so eager to just like get our own point across or um, make sure, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, we've got 30 minutes in this web chat. We have to like cover these three points and they have to know what my vision is and my impact and all this kind of stuff. But if we slow down and say, I want to know really what's of interest to this person and then follow on that path, they're going to be so much more likely to engage with the vision or the the impact of the organization because they're going to feel heard. Right. (laughs) And, And I would say conversely too, that's also helped me with some funders who, who I realized like, oh, there's really not alignment. Yeah. And, and it's actually in both of our interests to like... And that's okay. It, it, and it's, it's totally okay. And that actually helps me because that clarity means I can keep moving forward. And focus on better alignment, right? How about opening meetings with... What do you hope to get out of this meeting? Do you do that with your texting as well in conflict resolution? Like, What do you hope will come out of this dialogue? Or do you just jump right into... You know, what's the situation? How do I help? You know, what's the opening? How do you get the conversation going and creating a safe space? That's a great question. So our conversations typically check with a little bit of baseline setting. So okay. people do receive an automated message that says, you reached Empower Work. This is what we do. And say, you know, we help ask questions to understand what's going on. And then we talk about a path forward. So we kind of set that baseline of like, here's what you could expect in that conversation. We also typically do some agreement and alignment at the beginning of the conversation. And that starts with a question like, what brought you to us today? Very open-ended. When people answer that in a lot of different ways, some people are like, the bus ad I just saw, you know? (laughs) And some people have already shared, you know, some people start their first message, you know, is a paragraph of the situation that they're experiencing. And so sometimes we don't ask the question of what brought you to us today. It's very clear. Mm -hmm. And we dive right into... I'm hearing that you're worried about your safety and going back to work and that your boss isn't supporting you or the company practices don't align with your values. Let's talk more about that. So it kind of depends how the conversation starts, but we want to really open that in a way that people understand what to expect in the conversation, signal trust, and an understanding of like who we are as an organization, and then open the dialogue. We do ask at some point in the conversation, typically a little bit further in, what do you want to get out of this conversation? Or one of the variations of that is like, what's your ideal outcome? And we ask that in different ways because we want to understand maybe what's the ideal outcome for the conversation today. It may be what's your ideal outcome in the situation that you're experiencing so that we can then focus the conversation to get you to the place that you're most interested in getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I also heard good reflective listening too is that I heard you say, or I understand that what you're saying is, and then you can ask, do I have that right? Is that, is that truly how you feel? Did I capture it or am, am I getting the message correct? Absolutely. And one of my favorite practices, and I think for folks who, who are looking to build their own skills in, in like listening and acknowledgement and reflection is to also reflect what you may not be hearing. To say, you know, I heard 
these three things are really important to you that, and, and you can say what the three things are. I also noticed you didn't mention, you know, X thing over here. And sometimes the person will say like, oh yeah, cause I don't care about that at all, you know, and not important to me. And sometimes the person's like, oh my gosh, like, yes, of course. Like that's super important. So to give an example, if someone talks about fear of job loss and they don't indicate anything about financial concern, you know, a volunteer might say, you know, finance is something that you're also concerned about as part of this. And someone might say like, oh no, you know what, actually like I've, unemployment just changed and I, I ran those numbers and that, and that works for me and I know how to file for unemployment. Okay, great. The person, you know, thought it through, but someone else might say, oh my gosh, like they're so emotionally overwhelmed and they have so many factors going on in the situation that they may realize like, oh my gosh, I just totally forgot, you know, about that piece. And yes, I'm super stressed about paying rent and, you know, being able to buy groceries and, and like, absolutely. And I need to think through what that looks like. And so I think reflecting sometimes what we, we don't see presented can be really helpful too. Yeah, I love that. And what if you come into a conversation where there is disalignment and you just, you get a roadblock and you can't help them and it's not progressive, it's not positive, it becomes negative. How do you manage that kind of situation? I think the number one case we see where there's not alignment is when someone feels so disempowered and has such a sense of lack of agency that they're really interested in just like, well, tell me what to do. And we do see these situations where someone is, there's so much emotion going on. There's, the situation feels so untenable and so overwhelming that the person, you know, is, is just unable to really even create the space for themselves to think through it. And that's really hard. And in those cases, we do have a protocol where we say, you know, this is how we can best serve you. And we're really clear on what we can provide and what we can't provide. And, you know, I think in a traditional coaching practice, people would talk about that around sort of readiness for coaching and we can help walk someone through and and talk through the emotional complexity to get to a place where they can, but we have to have agreement around that. And so if someone is feeling so unable to engage and they can't even go down that path, then we'll usually check in with them and see if they have other support resources available for them and then talk through other resources that could be helpful. So that might be, for instance, like therapy, um, mental health related hotline, and things like that, because we address mental health and mental well-being, and we are also not, as we talked about, with therapists or mental health experts. So we want to make sure that we can get someone to the right place. Mm-hmm. So if I were listening to this and thinking about what's the takeaway there, it could be, you know, here's the boundary. Basically, it's putting up the boundaries of where yeah. you can or can't help a conversation or solve a problem. I found that there are some scenarios where. People want to reach out because they just truly want to vent and be heard more so than they're looking for a solution. And at some point, I think the listener needs to acknowledge that they're not meant to be a punching bag. So there's a certain degree in which you can listen and empathize and support, but there's a boundary that each listener must put up to say, you know, and this is where I, I have to draw the line. You know, I, I don't have an answer to that, or let me help you get connected to somebody else. Or what would be meaningful and helpful in this situation to divert the dialogue to say, you know, let's let's switch it a bit. Those are some of the techniques that I've practiced. Is there anything else that you'd recommend there? 100%. I think those are great suggestions. And the two primary boundaries that we see are legal and mental health. We provide rights information. So if someone says like, you know, I'm not getting paid for the work that, I, that I've done, we're very clear, like it's your right to get paid, you know, and we're clear on that. If someone's interested in like, what do I do from a legal perspective? We're really clear. Like 
we don't provide legal counsel. Right. We provide rights information and we can Mm -hmm. connect you to those. So that's a very clear boundary for us. I think one of the benefits of being a peer-based counseling service, to your point about boundaries for like what someone can take and, you know, not to not be a a punching bag and just at that, is that people are extraordinarily appreciative and recognize that the folks they're talking to are volunteers and are dedicating their time. And so we don't, I think we've maybe had one conversation where someone wasn't thoughtful and nice about that. And I've been, and for the most part, people are like incredibly respectful. I think that happens more in relationships that we have where someone's not clear on the the boundary of a friendship or other relationship and, mm, yeah. and like can kind of, uh, and so I think to your point, like creating that clarity about here's how I can show up for you. And like what you're asking me to do is kind of out of the scope of what I can provide or what I'm comfortable with, I think is, is really powerful. And it's important for the person who's creating that space for someone else. And it's important for the person who's asking for that space too. Mm, yeah, that's great. Going back into the meat of a conversation, do you have a specific protocol or best practices around how to be an active listener when you're texting? Like, do you respond, I hear you or, oh, you know, you know, in a conversation, I do a lot of nodding or, you know, sounds like, oh yeah, or "Uh uh-huh, you know, I'm getting it, I'm following you, but how do you do that in text or how do you do that in these kinds of dialogues that are not in person where we don't have as many cues? It is. We have a couple of different practices and a lot of it is each volunteer kind of getting into the rhythm that works for them and that feels authentic and human for them. So we always have suggestions. So for example, if someone's doing rapid fire texts or rapid fire web chats where they're really like, you know, just sharing a lot of information all at once, like you said, it's hard to have that signal of like, I'm listening, I'm with you. And so we do have suggestions for volunteers and people take this in different ways where, you know, they're, they may say like, I'm listening, dot, 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 or Mm -hmm. got it, or I'm reading or, you know, I hear you just to acknowledge like received, (laughs) received. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, you know, in this and, and different people do that in different ways. And some people will also say like, can you give me a minute? Like you just shared a lot, you know, can yes, you give me a minute a to catch up, response. which is, which is important. Yeah. 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 Because the person who's downloading is they're living it yes. you know, and they're in it and we are catching up with where they are. And so that's really important. And we'll, we'll see people who sometimes say like, are you still there? Or like, did you, you know, did you catch everything? I, did you catch everything I said? So really staying with the person in that moment. Mm-hmm. And we often will send an acknowledgement and say, you know, give me a minute to, to catch up on things or, you know, to check in or read this a little bit more deeply so mm-hmm. that someone knows, hey, we've got it. And then the volunteer will follow up with like the reflection, the acknowledgement, mm-hmm. the next question to move forward. I think this applies to our day-to-day experience as well. Now that we're doing more texting as humans, if we're talking to a friend or a family member or, you know, whomever it is that we're texting, sometimes I see a lot of patterning of somebody would send a text and then the recipient doesn't respond for minutes or hours and sometimes even days. And I think it's causing a lot of breakdown in communication and even hurtfulness when I think we just really have a misunderstanding around the modes and what's a dialogue and what's not a dialogue. Is texting actually a dialogue or is it just a message blast? Is it, you know, there's social media that's just blasting to the universe. And then there's texting that's one-on-one, but it's not the same as the obligation of being on the phone where you can hear somebody breathing and once they hang up, the conversation's clearly done. There's a start and there's an end. 
do you have any advice for just human to human connection, regardless of, you know, the service that you're providing, but how do we take this new world of texting and better citizens and better friends or communicators to each other? I love that question. I feel like it's one we should all be asking ourselves more. (laughs) Me too, by the way, you know, sometimes I don't respond to texts for a couple of days and I look back and I'm like, Oh no, I'm so sorry. And I always feel I have to apologize, which is also a challenge because I can't control what's coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's also, I think there's sometimes there's a gap too. And I've noticed on particularly high volume times, like, let's say like, um, New Year's Eve when everyone's sending their like, whatever message, like there aren't always messages that are coming through in sync. I have friends who I'm on threads with who are like, I got your message at like three in the morning. Did you text me at three in the morning? Like, no, I texted you at seven. I don't know why it came through at that point. So there, you know, I think the acknowledgement that it's an imperfect system and we are imperfect as humans. And, you know, how can we create better alignment that works for the folks we care about who we're communicating with in those channels? We find that, you know, a lot of volunteers will share from a professional perspective that going through the training that we provide, which is, you know, like 20 hours, makes them better in showing up for folks they care about and, and whether that's a team member or a loved one. And, so many of the communications that we're doing professionally and personally now are in these different channels, whether it's like you're getting pinged in Slack or you're, yes. <laughs> you know, you're getting Slack, these texts, like, text. yeah, yeah, all these different, all these different modes. And I think a lot of the same practices kind of apply, which is like, what's our aligned agreement around how we're using this? So are we using this text thread with friends as a means of just like venting and checking in here and there? Or are we like, trying to plan an activity together that actually we need to like move into email because nobody can keep track. Oh, or not. Right. Totally. (laughs) Like, you know, it's like, how are we, how are we doing this? And like checking in with people. And I think one of the most powerful things is to say like, is this working for you? Mm. You know, and checking in and saying like, Hey, I just realized I didn't respond to your message as you you said like for a couple of days. And like, I'm not sure if that works for you or not, you know, like, so can you let me know is there another medium that's better or, mm-hmm. you know, this is that, and of course that comes with its own challenges. Then you as the individual are having to keep track of like, right. My mom likes to communicate over Facebook messenger and my you know, brother like only does email, but only on the weekends, you know, and that's, that's hard. So I think figuring out the, the systems that work for us and the practices that work and giving ourselves the like grace and space that there are going to be mistakes and misses and we're all doing the best that we can. <laughs> Given, given everything that's going on. So true. Empathy for self and others, compassion for self and others. What is something that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you, Jamie Alexis? And this has been great. I'm trying to think because we've covered so much. We have covered um, a lot. <laughs> I think one of the things that, that we haven't discussed quite as much is the impact for the other person. Okay. Um, and so I would say, you know, I think one of the benefits of reflecting on our own practices for listening and thinking about how we want to show up for others is that it can really change relationships that we have. And we see this obviously in our text conversations where by the end, you know, someone who's reached out to Empower Work will say something like, oh my gosh, I just feel such relief. Or mm. I'm, I've now thought through three other things I hadn't even realized before. You know, so you know, we have like measurement impact, like 90% of people feel better and able to take an action, which is important. But I think what we see anecdotally right. in a conversation is this huge sentiment shift where someone starts a conversation so stuck or overwhelmed or uncertain and leaves with this sense of a weight being lifted. And mm-hmm. that gets expressed in a lot of different ways to, to the volunteer. And that's really powerful for the, for the relationships that we're all holding 
whether it's with a funder or, you know, a peer or, you know, a board member, but just, I think, unlocking and deepening those relationships because we're hearing one another and helping take weight off of what could be a fraught conversation (laughs) and saying like, how do we create this space for one another and, and recognize that by listening and, and like creating that acknowledgement, there can be really like a true shift in what's possible going forward. And I think on the other side, it's the person who's trying to offer support. They feel this greater sense of service. They feel that they have been helpful, which goes back to like our human needs of connecting and of being of service and providing help to others. So I think that it's got to be full circle. Ultimately, you know, in your best case scenario where the person seeking help and the person giving help both walk away feeling lighter and better about their human experience at large. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a beautiful reflection. So I guess I would say, you know, I need to continue to be mindful of thanking people. And I do, I do try to do that quite a bit, but I think it's something that it falls to the cracks. You forget to say meaningful and specific gratitudes and say, this was helpful because, or when you did this, I felt this. And so, you know, I appreciate it or whatever it may be. And I just want to give that last plug because I do think it's an important time to just spread as much kindness to each other as we can. There's so much anxiety. There's so much uncertainty. And, you know, anytime we should be doing this, but in particular, now we get a chance to look closer at our human engagements. Yes. And to not beat ourselves up if we're not doing it hundred percent of the time. Totally. Nobody's on the other hundred percent right now. <laughs> The truth. truth. I know. I do appreciate you, Jamie Alexis. And it's a segue into what would be one organization, one person, one concept that you want to give a shout out to and express gratitude and promote on the show at the closing question. Oh, I love that. Well, I think to your point of asking great questions, Elizabeth Weingarten is a fabulous champion for Empower Work and has a piece up right now with like questions that we should all ask in COVID. And I highly encourage it because it's like 20 questions you can ask instead of how are you? (laughs) We'll link that. That's fantastic. Um, Yeah. We'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. Which is great. An organization I would give a shout out to that I've been, well, two that I've been really impressed with. A friend of mine runs an organization called Upsolve. They're helping alleviate bankruptcy for low-income Americans and are about to see probably a pretty significant flood. And I've been incredibly impressed with the way that they've handled the support and resources for low-income Americans. And I think it is really a right of our time. And the other person, organization I would give a shout out to is Paid Leave US. And Katie Bethel's been doing incredible work around universal paid leave for every American. And that's been important before COVID and now more important than ever. Yeah. And so I really appreciate her work, her team's work around these issues. And you asked a third thing that I totally blinked on. No, no, that's it. That's it. It was just, um, who would you give a shout out to? So you've actually done the trifecta and you've got a triple gold star. (laughs) Well, I I appreciate that question and the focus on gratitude because it's an important and wonderful and renewing practice and meaningful for others as well. So I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate your reflection on this conversation too, because you're clearly doing a great job of listening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks. I'm trying to learn as fast as I can. You've got great advice. I do feel like communication is, it's an art, you know, and there's a science to it too, which is what I love that you're bringing is some of the best practices and some of the lessons learned that have been studied for decades and how are you applying them to crisis situation? It's beautiful. And I'm so grateful that your organization exists and how can we support it? You know, if this 
I suppose this would be the last call to the audience. How can we support you and empower work? Well, I really appreciate that. Well, I think for, for anyone who's facing something challenging right now or knows who some, uh, knows someone who is, I would say, feel free to reach out. And mm-hmm. information um, on how to do that is on our website, which is empowerwork.org. And people can text or start a web chat. For folks who hear this and think, oh my gosh, I want to build these muscles for myself and I want to pay it forward or support others. We're always looking for incredible volunteers. Um, And again, information on volunteering and what that entails on our website. And last, I would say, since we're talking about fundraising, you know, we are a nonprofit and we are on a mission to make sure that everyone has access to this. One of the most important things that we see is that people can connect with no barrier to entry, whether that's payment or filling out forms or gating mechanisms. And philanthropic support helps us do that. So anyone who says, you know what, I can't volunteer, but I think this is great. You know, we'd love the support of a, of a donation. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate it too. This has been really rich and interesting. Thank you so much for reaching out to me and making this all happen and your flexibility last week and all of the good work that you've just shared with everybody. I'm really excited about this. Thanks, Lindsay. Bye. Bye. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.